Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by AM energy leaders tackling key issues and trends in the industry. In this episode, Senior Director Jeff Angulo and co-host Senior Director Kyle Vano are joined by energy experts Robin Fielder from Talos Energy, Peter Kusera from Trafigura, and Ajay Jagadizian from Oak Tree Capital Management to share their views on the future of energy. We've talked a lot about the energy security issues, energy transition. Talking exclusively about energy transition for a minute, what continued headwinds and tailwinds are we seeing as this has evolved over the last couple of years? Where are we today looking forward? What are the headwinds and what are the tailwinds? Yeah, I think from a tailwinds perspective, we've touched on it briefly on the IRA bill. I think that was a significant tailwind for the U.S. markets on continuing to push that that transition in clean energies um, and recognizing that diversification mix. Um, then, Peter, I think you touched on it is the overall maturation of technology will continue to drive that mm-hmm. levelized cost of energy down to where it becomes much more of a cost substitute and an energy substitute where that decision can now start kind of accelerating the energy transition conversation a little bit more now from consumers and companies alike um, being less cost conscious on the energy sources that I'm choosing because they're in front of me at the same prices, just different CI products. So I might make a different decision in the future at that levelized cost of energy than I am today. And so I think that's what really is pushing this forward on from a tailwind perspective. I'd say there's also maturation from, you know, all of us around the table and the companies we represent and just our, our kind of the general industry and the way that they're thinking about energy transition, right? So I think companies are, are all standing up the right teams. They're taking it seriously, right? So they're putting in high caliber people into these roles, as you can see from Robin sitting next to me, uh, giving them resources, staffing them up, taking this seriously. Um, really trying to grapple with, I think, spending the right amount of time and the right amount of focus in understanding emissions profiles for the company. Again, back to the baseline idea of creating a baseline to be able to, to improve against that baseline. That's a, this is not a conversation that we would have been having five years ago at all, right? I mean, I think it was a lot of people who felt maybe pressured into putting out some sort of vague ESG principles. And now we're talking about hard numbers. We're talking about real data. We're talking about going past individual insetting or scope one and two reductions, talking about how we build carbon markets and how we build carbon pricing into something that allows consumers to make the exact decisions that you're talking about. So I think it has been remarkably fast how quickly that's gone. And I think the more that that ecosystem matures, the more confidence you know consumers have that what they're buying represents the values that they have or the goals that they have. And the more the companies are saying, yeah, this is worth investing in because this isn't going away. And there's there's you know more definition, more rules around how we're supposed to operate in this space. Yeah, IRA is definitely a tailwind. Um, it's great to see our country has selected incentives. You know, several jurisdictions have um, more of the stick. Uh, but either way, I think we all kind of see this cost of or, or price of carbon evolving and emerging. Uh, but beyond IRA, I think some of the, the potential headwinds that we've seen time and time again are if we can just kind of get, a, get out of our own way, you know, sometimes policy can actually be inhibiting um, and sometimes the regulations or even just the processes aren't there. So as we're thinking yeah. about permitting, whether it's, you know, in my world to get these class six sequestration yeah. wells or yeah. 
permitting for new transmission to move yeah. new power uh, across the states or even interstate. It's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of process, and we need to be able to clear those paths so we can do things in a in a reasonable time frame that will actually enable us to make the changes in the time frame that meet all of our goals. Uh, it's not just the countries now. A lot of companies have very ambitious net zero carbon neutrality goals, and if we're going to help folks meet that, we have to work backwards and start making real time decisions and investments and and advancing on projects today. Yeah. I think you know we spoke about the uh, the tailwinds, and uh, you know as far as the headwinds go, you know the one thing that comes to my mind is uh, you know two things. Uh, one is uh, capital required, uh, you know for the scale scale that we're talking about um, is a requirement of a lot of capital, um, as well as uh, uh, the other one is uh, you know with the rising interest rates, uh, the cost of capital you know for these projects you know uh, starting to creep up. Um, so that, that definitely is, uh, you know, one of the headwinds that I think, uh, you know, uh, facing the energy transition. The other one is uh, skills, uh, you know, both in terms of uh, this is going to be a massive operation. Uh, there's going to be a, a requirement for a lot of people, you know, both at a, uh, you know, your skill level, the engineers, you know, required for it, as well as, you know, um, you know, the unskilled level, you know, boots on the ground. Um, so I think that's uh, something that's uh, that has to be looked at, and you know people have to be upskilled or reskilled to uh, you know take up those positions. Uh, if uh, you know we are thinking about you know uh, the transition accelerating in the next three to five years, I will jump in on AJ's point on yeah. on skills. You know I'm a petroleum engineer by degree. We've yeah. seen a real fall off on that particular degree um, in recent years. But but I do think there should there's going to be this emergence of you know energy engineering as as you think about um, developing skill sets at university that can plug into different roles and in fact you know a lot of the large companies would very purposefully even in for for starting out as a petroleum engineering role yeah. would go and, and recruit whether it be mechanical mm-hmm. or electrical or chemical right. engineers who had a broad base technical understanding that could come plug in and quickly it's all about learning on the job anyway you know and learn what it is they need to tackle and so i think hopefully there'll be a lot more people excited to get it to get into these degrees um and really get excited about energy again we haven't done a fantastic job as as a traditional oil and gas sector in fact we've done a pretty poor job of really explaining to the broad public what it is we do every day that we have a we have a fantastic purpose of what we provide not just from an energy standpoint but all of the other materials that are made from hydrocarbon products Um, and so as we're developing you know new products fuels technologies it's it's really exciting and i we got to attract those top those top minds and um, curiosities to come and and want to work in this space. It's so, I I think it's a great point. And so it it should be very good from an economic job creating, but we got to get the right people in up front so we can innovate. Now you piqued my interest on this topic. (laughs) So, uh, you know, as you were speaking, I was just thinking about, you know, the uh, the curriculum that's uh, in the universities today. Like, uh, you know, I've not kept much in, uh, you know, Todd. So it'd be uh, curious. I'd be curious to see, you know, like how much of it is, uh, you know, being incorporated into the curriculums, you know, as we speak, uh, you know, uh, let's say petroleum engineering, right? You know, like uh, some of the top schools, uh, you know, mine, a and uh, you know, UT uh, or OU, like, you know, what's being incorporated there, you know, in terms of curriculum, you know, are they, you know, is hydrogen, you know, uh, you know, uh, being taught, you know, uh, CCUS, or has the curriculum changed, uh, you know, to keep up with the, uh, 
uh, the changes and the needs. So uh, that's something uh, you know that uh, should be looked at. I don't know if any of you have any thoughts about that. I think that's that's a very important point. And how do we maintain that, the petroleum engineering in particular? Because, Robin, one of the points you made a minute ago that, that really resonates with me is the other uses for energy that seems to have been left out of the conversation in the last several years. And I've been reading recently that the lack of natural gas is not only going to impact people being able to heat their homes, but us being able to feed the world. Because it's a huge component, uh, not only an input to fertilizer, but a component of, of making it in the first place. And these are things that people tend to forget when they discard our, our industry entirely, but it, it's well beyond just gas going into cars. That impacts everything everyone does and every product you buy. That's right. And I think, uh, you know, maybe that also has to be, uh, you know, uh, incorporated, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, uh, part of your uh, curriculum, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as well as awareness, um, you know, in this uh, in this context, you know. Um, so I think uh, that's pretty key. That's a very good point, Jeff. And I love the idea of an energy engineering degree encompassing more than just petroleum and more than just electricity and, and solar and wind. How do you yeah. And I, uh, we are observing some departments are, are incorporating different coursework curriculum um, and, and starting some of these other foundations and institutes yeah. that look across even some of the different colleges. So maybe it's the energy or the, the engineering group with the geology group with the business school, the law school, and they're working across those to help innovate and develop yeah. um develop the the skill set and the knowledge base sometimes it's it's recruiting professionals that are already working in the industry to come in and advise and to kind of have that full cycle return but yeah i mean it's it's no we're partnering with with texas a and m on one of our projects and so we've got folks that are doing modeling work in the subsurface for ccs but it's it's very similar modeling that we do yeah. for upstream yeah, upstream um, long yes yeah, yeah hydrocarbon production it's kind of reversing the flow so uh, that, I think that's the exciting news is there are a lot of translatable skill sets that we've already got today. And so it's really just getting the next generation excited about coming into our space. You know, everybody, yeah. you know, there's the, the enamor of going to work for a Google alphabet or yeah. Facebook now meta. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but hopefully energy is exciting too. And no matter what part of that, that value chain you're in, you know, some of us are focused just on the subsurface, some, the midstream space, some more downstream products or, or everything trading in between. And so it's, uh, there's lots of different ways to plug in. And so I hope people see that as a great opportunity as, as folks are thinking about career choices or even career changes. That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people looking to switch um, right now. And I think it's a great opportunity as, as we've been recruiting for some new roles. It's, uh, we've been very successful in getting people to apply. I think people are wanting yeah. to get into a low carbon space. Mm -hmm. Um, to say that they've worked it and, and add that to their skill set and their resumes. Yeah, that's great. I've had a lot of conversations with geologists recently that have gone back and gotten their master's or certification at different universities for sustainability or new energies and CCS. So, yeah. again, it's not just the attraction of the new talent. It's kind of the upskilling career changes of our existing workforce as well, because we can definitely leverage the capabilities that they're bringing today and these new energy sources. Yeah, for sure. Great. We've had a, a great conversation around energy transition, sustainability uh, at a macro level. would like to turn it for the last question to something on a lower level. Kind of how are your companies navigating the energy transition? What are you, what low carbon opportunities are you participating in? How are you thinking about investments? Um, how are you thinking about 
uh, your customers and their needs and meeting those. I'll throw that open and sure, maybe I'll start. see who wants to go um, first. I think I think we mentioned or I mentioned uh, supply scarcity is sort of front of mm -hmm. mind right now. So um, obviously supply scarcity of energy in all forms, but I think for for in particular low carbon fuels, no carbon fuels, which are of which there are very few, um, blue products, whatever it is, I think there's a general uh, need to build out the upstream infrastructure to to support the delivery of those products into the market. So. Um, in terms of what is, exists today, biofuel space is reasonably well developed. Um, we've been processing, you know, waste oils and animal fats into biofuels, biodiesel, renewable diesel for for years and years, and that technology is quite understood and quite mature. But as you start to get into more of the the blue economy and the green economy, I think we're still in the very early stage in terms of both technology risk to an extent, but particularly scaled commercial projects that make these products available for people. So I think that's that's point one, which is um, we need to get much more supply into the market. And that requires a lot of capital, project execution, permitting, all the things we already talked about. Um, where we participate in that is we are experts in, in helping to connect supply chains and bring uh, producer upstream material to consumers to transform it, blend it, deliver it, get it to the right specification, the right location, the right parcel size for someone to actually do something with it. So we end up um, as Trafigura participating and helping companies that are developing projects figure out, okay, what do we do with these these products that we're making once, once we've made them? Um, that's one. I think the other is um, there's a there's a lot of investment that's required on the downstream infrastructure, consumables, rolling stock side in order to get, you know, not really drop in fuels, but sort of these future fuels into the into the market. So um, I think we see part of our role is uh, as a company who are delivering to power customers, to sea stores, to marine fuel customers today is how do we help Kind of expand the world and expand the aperture around the types of technology that's needed and the types of fuels that can that can go into those markets and help get customers comfortable that you know a methanol bunker or an ammonia engine is something that we actually can uh, wrap our heads around we can understand the risks the maintenance the insurance the secondary market for these types of products and, and end up starting to deploy them so we kind of see ourselves as helping to build that downstream story as well um, and i think that's ultimately going to be very important you have a lot of people who are we're super interested in this as a topic who want these fuels, who want to bring them into their supply chains, into their procurement process and into their operations. Um, and, and so we kind of see ourselves as needing to help support, in, in most cases, upstream and downstream customers on that journey. And then, of course, connecting the two, because if you have a need for blue ammonia in Japan and you have a blue ammonia project in the Gulf Coast, um, you have a huge exposure there in terms of how you actually monetize that product and move it, right. move it around. So that's where... I think we work with uh, companies, you know, all around the world that are that are trying to develop these types of projects, and, and also sort of the obvious end consumers who are looking to to utilize them and work work both sides on that front. I think that collaboration piece is key. It really kind of meeting your counterpart where they're at and and, and seeing how you can work together to to solve it. Uh, you know, at Talos, we're we're trying to build out a decarbonization portfolio. We've got four announced projects. Um, but really everything that underpins this is is leveraging who we are and, and what our advantages are, I've mentioned before. And so looking at where there's a huge need in the market, um, you know, we've seen the, the 
global CCS and IEA data that all suggest that CCS has a, has a big role in decarbonization, especially if we're going to meet or get close to the Paris Climate Accord numbers. And so it's a matter of, of being able to look at our skill sets, see where we can put that to use, and also knowing how you fit into that. So we're we're an independent, uh, which, uh, and we're also public in the deep water, so we, we can have that operational assurance. We, we've got a good diligence and, um, and track record out there that you can go check on. But also we can be nimble. We can move quicker than some of our, our larger peers in that space. And so that's where we took the advantage to become a first mover, get established. Um, but back to that collabor collaboration piece, recognizing that we're now setting up a new customer facing business. So it's not upstream, a little bit more like a midstream, um, but it's going to take some tremendous um, infrastructure like investment. So whether you're partnering with a financial partner, equity partner, very strategic partner um, or, or interfacing with the potential customer base, it's, it's very different um, now that we're talking about helping someone with their sustainability solutions, but also get rid of their waste and how we're going to manage that waste. So it's a different conversation than we were having before. And then trying to set this all up in a low cost framework, because we recognize that, yes, we want to do this as a business. We want to be able to, to commercialize this um, and let it stand on its own. But we also recognize that the cost to capture is very high. So if we're working with counterparts that are looking to decarbonize, that we got to understand that it's expensive for them as well. And it's going to be some big investment decisions to go out and retrofit existing facilities or to even make an FID in a new greenfield investment uh, that perhaps has uh, capture technology built in on the front end. So it's um, there's a lot of things to think through, but it really comes down to you know, recognizing who you are, what your place is in the space, and then how you can collaborate and work work mm -hmm. through that uh, to build out something where where it's meaningful to, to your stakeholders um, in every sense of that word. So, uh, yeah, um, we see a, a lot of opportunities uh, given the uh, uh, given the, uh, the historic and disruptive nature of the energy transition uh, that we are in. We've seen a wide variety of opportunities in the uh, across the energy spectrum. Um, of course, I'm more closer to the uh, the investments in uh, um, the oil and gas sector that we make. But uh, that said, um, Oak Tree is always, uh, you know, invested and is continuing to uh, look at opportunities in the uh, the green energy companies. Uh, in the past, uh, in the recent past, I would say uh, we've invested in a wide variety of uh, you know companies focusing on the space. Um, you know, be it an investment in a uh, a company that makes uh, composites uh, for uh, windmill blades, uh, or be it an uh, investment into a company that makes uh, is in the business of renewable diesel. Um, we've also invested in an environmental company which uh, provides uh, environmental and remediation services to a wide variety of end markets, uh, including wastewater, energy, and power. Um, and there's also an investment in a couple of companies that focus on, um, uh, you can call them as uh, energy as a service companies. So these are companies that um, you know, um, are technology driven. And, uh, and help companies with energy management and uh, help them transition towards their uh, carbon neutrality goals. So uh, there's a wide variety, as you can see, there's a wide variety of opportunities where um, Oakley is invested in. And uh, you know, th this is just within our strategy. And uh, other strategies within Oakley also uh, continue to look at opportunities in the space. And uh, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting times, so. So I think what's really interesting hearing from everyone on the table is how 
sort of have the core competency identified of how we want to play in the space. What, what is the niche role that each of us need to be able to sort of add value? And then I think we're all also at the, at the same time figuring out how we need to redefine or expand the definition of what we've done previously. I know from the Traffickera side, you know, we don't, we, we set up a venture capital fund, for example, a few years ago that just looks at uh, emerging technology companies, small scale companies, um, putting direct equity investments into those companies. We've done about nine now across hydrogen, both blue and green, um, ammonia, long duration energy storage, um, carbon capture. It's, it's something that we felt in this new world, we need to stay relevant, we need to stay informed, we need to stay engaged with these companies as technology becomes a bigger and bigger determinant of who wins and who loses and what gets adopted and how commodities are produced and traded. I think that's something where we think hey, it's, 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 it's a little bit out of our, our traditional operating mold, but it's something that we absolutely, absolutely need to adopt into the sort of energy transition opportunity set. I think opportunity is really what it's all about. It's I think it's very exciting as you look across whether it's energy transition or ESG or sustainability. There's a lot of opportunity for investment for innovation and really it's about kind of creating long-term value and, and growth and as you're looking for those kind of opportunities whether it's company growth personal growth there's a there's a lot uh, to be tackled and solved and and to be developed so it's it's very exciting time absolutely that concludes our discussion kyle and i would like to thank robin peter and ajay for their contributions to our conversation today we hope you found the conversation robust and enjoyed it and will join us on future episodes of the next imperative Thank you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.